while we were on vacation, we were able to, to visit family. And, and in doing so, it, it is amazing to see a children in their external physical growth. It's something that you can measure. You, you see them, and then maybe you don't see them for six months in a year or a year, and, and, and they've grown, and, and they've gotten taller. And then I had the opportunity to speak to some of my nieces and nephews who are, are young adults, and I was able to identify in them internal growth where through conversation, you can tell they've grown in their intellect. You could see that they've grown in their emotional development and in their stature and influence in life. But how do we measure spiritual growth? What, what is the barometer that we use to track our sanctification? And, and that's what we're going to speak about this morning. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read the first 11 verses, and the title of this morning's ser sermon is, Don't Stay Stuck. So if you would rise for the reading of God's Word, we always stand for the reading of God's Word because we highly value the Word of God. I'll be reading out of the CSB this morning. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll be reading the first 11 verses, and it reads this way. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believe. And each has the role the Lord has given him. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you are 
the foundation. We thank you, Lord, that, that growth comes from you, Lord. Increase comes from you. We ask, Father, that you would feed us this day. We come with an expectancy to receive. And because you are Jehovah Jireh, you always supply our needs, Lord. So we present ourselves to you this day and say, have your way and do a work in our hearts. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, so Paul planted this church in, in Corinth, and he stayed with that church for 18 months before moving on. And, and now he writes a letter to the Corinthian church about five years later. And it is a pastoral letter. He's addressing their spiritual growth, which is something that a pastor is always concerned about. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not talk to you as spiritual people, but only as a, a worldly people, people that are dominated by human nature, mere infants in the new life. Everyone starts out in this place. So what he's addressing here is, when I came and planted this church, I spoke to you as regular human beings, as those that are dominated by the world. No one comes to Christ spiritually mature. And, and, and no one faults a baby for being a baby. We, we don't say to a baby, stop that slobbing. Why don't you have teeth? No, a baby is a baby. Each one of us begins the Christian life as a baby. And, and we desire to finish the Christian life as seasoned saints. Each one of us begins with a character that have been shaped by the world, that has been shaped by the flesh. And each one of us wants to finish with a character that is shaped by the Spirit, that is shaped by God, that is shaped by His Word. Each one of us starts life selfish, actually wicked, warped in our desires. And, and we desire to end with those desires being godly. Each one of us should have a desire to progress. The text says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. And, and that's fine. A baby is to start out on milk. This was the right thing for the pastor to do. Paul started by laying out the gospel. This is who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus has done for you. That's milk. We do not come into the world equipped to eat steak. That's why you aren't born with teeth. 
so, so revelation and illumination, it, it's, it's a, a progression. It's, it's, it's progress along the way. So he said, I, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. But then he says, in fact, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. Even now, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. In other words, controlled by ordinary impulses, as if you were void of the Spirit. It, it is one thing to, to come into faith in a knowledge of God and start out as a babe. It's another thing for these five years later for you to still be drinking milk. That's a problem. That's a problem if by now you should be eating solid food. What does that mean? The babe in Christ lives on Bible stories, not on Bible doctrine. There's a difference. Bible stories teach you the who's and the what's. Bible doctrine teaches you the why's and the how's, how to live. But Bible stories tell you what Jesus did. Bible doctrine teaches you what Jesus is doing now. So, so we can go with the history and see when he was on earth and understand who he is and what he did. Those are Bible stories, factual stories. But doctrine is, I can't see Jesus now, but he is at work. I need to understand what that means for me today. It's important that we preach the gospel to the lost. But it is also important to interpret the gospel to the saved. The deep things of, of God apply to daily life. You see, a, a mature Christian uses gifts as tools to build. An immature Christian uses gifts to play and to show off like trophies. So the question becomes, how do we determine uh, your maturity level? How is it that we look at ourselves and say, where am I? Well, the first thing it shows here is by what you consume by what you're feeding on. And, and then it goes into how you act. So, so what you consume, if you're drinking milk and you aren't eating meat and you are past the stage of milk, imagine a full-grown woman or man being sustained by milk alone. And in the natural, you would not survive. Do you think you can survive on milk 
when we're talking about spiritual matters. So, the deep things of God apply to our daily life. For since there is envy and strife among you, you are not, are you not worldly in behaving like mere humans? So now it, it goes from what you consume to how you're acting. Envy, envy is, is, is worse than, than uh, when someone is coveting something. Coveting something means I want what you have. Envy is more like I don't want you to have what you have. So, so, so if someone is coveting something you have, say it's two little kids, one might snatch a toy from the other. That's coveting. If the person snatches the toy because it's yours and then stomps on it to break it, that that's envy. It, 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 it's different. So, so Paul is saying, as I'm watching your behavior, envy and, and strife is, is here in the church. So you're acting worldly, like a mere human. In other words, a person that is void of the spirit and conducting themselves in natural ways. Walking around like, like ordinary people, unchanged by faith. He goes on to say, for whatever someone says, I belong to Paul and another. I belong to Apollos. Are you not acting like mere humans. That's a problem in itself because the focus should never be on the instrument used, but on the one that's using the instrument. That's God. We know who, who Paul is. Who, who's this Apollos that he's speaking about? We know that Paul, the great missionary that God used to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But we learn something about Apollos in Acts chapter 18. Starting at verse 24, it reads this way. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue after Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross to Acacia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. 
So uh, the believers there even gave him accommodation for where he would go next. And, and he is spoken well of, but like everyone else, he still had to develop in his knowledge of God. So the fact that some people were saying, I'm basically in Apollo's camp, and others were saying, I'm in Paul's camp. There was obviously some differences in their teachings. There definitely was some differences in their personalities. There were differences in their style and the way they went about things. So, like people do, some like this and some like that. Paul says, that in itself is a sign that you are still an infant in Christ. What does that look like today? One of the ways that it looks like today is refusing to wrestle with the text. Something can be clearly stated in the Bible. And some do all kind of acrobatics to deny what the text says. Challenge what you previously believed if it is stated in the Bible. Study to show yourself approved. Put in the work. Stop drinking milk alone. Yes, you needed milk. Know the primary issues. But the meat you also need. Engage in secondary issues. Engage in tertiary issues. Go deeper into the text. And we don't have to agree on every one of these things. But for you to just stay in milk, you're not malnutritioned for what you need in life. It's also evident that when you give ear to all kinds of teachings that you are a babe in Christ. Personalities are not above the word of God. Many listen to, to preachers that are not biblically sound because they like what they're saying. They, they like how that person makes them feel. But the question becomes, do you want to be enlightened and edified, or would you prefer to be entertained? When, when, when I watch some of these things online uh, that often people are consuming, it breaks my heart. So, sometimes I even think to myself, some of these people go to this church and they come every Sunday and they're listening to the preaching and then they're listening to that. You have to study the scriptures to show yourself approved. Do you only want food that tantalizes your tongue or do you desire food that's going to truly nourish? That, that's what you have to ask yourself. The text said, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, 
And each one has the role the Lord has given. Their place in God's economy was put there by the Lord himself. And they each had something different to do. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. One of the things about growth where we have to be careful is uh, too many believe that numbers identify growth. In the secular world, in your bank account, maybe that's the way it works. It does not work that way in God's economy. Uh, uh, growth is what's going on in my life. Am I the same person that I was then? Is, is Paul able to look and count me as one of those people where he said, you're still drinking milk? Five years later, you're dealing with some of the same stuff from five years ago or worse? There's, there's a problem with that. Growth, first off, is individual but at the same time, it's corporate. So, so if we are growing as a congregation in our spirit, man, and part, big part of what the year of abundance was about was, I want to grow. I need more of you, God, in every way. I, I was so blessed to be able to be a, a teacher um, with the women and to, to hear the questions and to see them digest information and be so excited about it. That is God giving abundantly because, again, he's the one who gives the increase. So the text says, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. In, in other words, in importance and esteem, working together for the same purpose. The one who plants and the one who waters, they're on the same mission. They're different tools in the master's tool shed, but they're about God's business. First off, no one person can do all the work. And I don't care how many people you have, if the Lord does not give the increase, it's for naught. It's going nowhere. The text says, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's Fellow workers. The fact that God would call us his fellow workers. Think about Paul's life and the trajectory he was on and God stopped him dead in his tracks and turned him around. You and I can say those very same things. It says you are God's cultivated field. You're his garden. You're his vineyard that he tends to. You are God's building. He is building something in you. And this is all done according to the remarkable grace of God 
which was given to me, Paul says, to prepare him for the task that he put in Paul's hands. That's, that's you and I, family. We need God's grace. And he gives us different gifts and different levels of grace to accomplish where he called you to be as his instrument in his tool shed. It says, according to the remarkable grace of God which was given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And now another is building on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. The foundation of any building is the most important part of the building. It determines the size. It determines the shape. It determines the strength of the building. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So when we think about our spiritual growth and, and how do we view where we are, it's not as easy as other things because if, if you're working on a project, you're, you're building something, you can look at it and say, mm, this is 50% done. Uh, this is 75% done. Not so much in our spiritual lives because you can wake up in the morning and you could be on fire and read a devotion and then go downstairs and the coffee maker is not acting right. And you're like, mm, that was not consistent what I just read five minutes ago. It happens. Those are the things that happen. So we can't look at our spiritual life and say, hmm, I'm, I'm halfway there. I'm, I'm three quarters of the way there. Progress is a lot less visible. Just like I was saying when, when I'm seeing some of my nieces and nephews that are kids, oh yeah, physically you've grown. It, it took a little bit more work to speak to the young adults and see how they've grown because they didn't get any taller. Some of them might have got heavier or skinnier, but in terms of what's going on in, in, in real growth, um, there's other indicators that had to be looked at. So even for us, how is it that we come to a place where we are able to view our spiritual progress? Well, um, one of the ways is for us to, to look over a period of time of, of where we used to be and then determine, are we still in that same place? Are, are, are we still uh, struggling with the same things? Or has the pendulum moved are we moving in the right directions? Because we're always going to make mistakes. Uh, another thing to look at to see about progress is the temptations that I used to have. Am I still falling prey to those very same things? You'll always 
work on something. Because even uh, as God has given you by his grace the victory over an area, say it's the most prevalent area that you need rescue from, and that's done. Well, you ain't dealing with one thing. Everything else in your life just moves up a notch. So what was, ever, what was number two now becomes number one. Part of where the struggle comes in for the believer is this. As we grow in grace and grow in the Lord, we're always wrestling with sin. And sometimes in our hearts and minds, we think no progress is being made. But often what's happening is if certain sins are being removed, but other things are still there, there's a heightened sensitivity to sin on the whole. So, so, so what is bothering you today might be bothering you more than something that was worse. But because of your closeness to God, because you look more like Jesus today, sin is that much heavier on your heart. And the weight of you doing something or responding negatively has a greater effect. You, you, you might have went from putting your hands on someone to saying something wrong. And, and when you put your hands on someone, you might have felt that was justified. But when you say something now that's out of line, it might weigh on you more where you ah, gotta learn to guard my mouth, to be slow to speak and, and quicker to listen. It's still showing progress. You can come up, Brittany. So the best way for us to assess where am I in my spiritual walk, in my sanctification process, is not to compare ourselves to the people around us. Right? We can always say, well, I'm doing better than this guy or that girl. Um, it's, it's to look at Jesus. It, it's to look at the life of Jesus and, and his perfect, unblemished life, which should actually do two things. He is our model, and when we are compared to him, it should one put us in a level of distress. I, I'm nowhere near Jesus in my behavior and in my thoughts and in my communion with God. But, but it should also encourage us that your Christ-likeness has moved closer to him than it's ever been before. Often when someone speaks to me about some sin that they may be struggling with and, and sometimes they were on a good roll for a while and then they fell into that sin again and, and, and they, they capitalize on I've fallen again. Sometimes 
we have to take the day-to-day victories. And when we fall, if we allow the enemy to make us believe that there is condemnation, we will stay there for a little while. But when you fall, get back up. Keep moving forward. Start again from moment one, day one, week one. I'm going to um, ask the leaders and the ushers to get ready with communion. So when we are tracking um, our sanctification process, our maturity level, because we have highs and lows, even in the course of a day, it is much better to consider the overall trend of our life. Are we more in love with God? Are we showing that not only through our emotions, but in spending time with him? In being obedient, he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's a hard thing to track. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for his long suffering, for his grace, for his mercy. And because we are his children, whether we're babes and just got saved, maybe we are immature and we've been a believer even 20 years. Or maybe we've been going along in our sanctification process. And for all of us, there are plateaus, there are high points, and and there are low points. But that's not the criteria God uses for his relationship with his children. He loves his children. Every one of his children are welcome to come to his table. 